right, good morning. Good to see everybody here today, all of you, every single one of you. Let's stand together. Let's worship and praise him today, whether there's one or two or three, it doesn't matter. Amen? Amen. We're going to have a good time just like it's three or four hundred in here, and that's all good. Let's praise him and lift him up. Amen.
55, it says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he come by, come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Today we get together around the table and celebrate the Lord and what he has done. So my challenge to us today, church, is let's worship him. Let's make much of him, just as we've talked about today, that he is the one who satisfies our souls. So let's pray as we go into our time of offering and let us continue to worship. Father God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. God, thank you for just this opportunity we have. Throughout the world today, there are those who under threat of persecution. But God, we have the opportunity to freely worship you today. And so God, would you be honored and glorified by everything that is said and done in your house. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. What an immense, I I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him. How did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You never, you didn't know a thing about church membership, and and yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What? What do you mean you don't know? Well, like, cause I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, uh, did, <laughs> excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor, Angel. So, wait, just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are you, are you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? Guys, I've never heard of it in my life. And and what about? Uh, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, "On on what basis are you here?" And he said, "The man on the middle cross said, 'I can come.'" Yes. Nice. 
Just stand just for a little while. Shake hands with somebody around you. Tell them how much you love them, how much you appreciate them. All right, do that.
Well, amen. Thank you, Mike and the band and the choir for leading us. I want to invite you to turn your Bible there. Just want to give you a couple quick announcements. Be in prayer next week um, for our FCA Coaches Day. We're really excited, looking forward to all of the coaches that will be here on campus. And so be in prayer for that. Um, and just be in prayer. We, we want to love them. We want to encourage these coaches as they're here. Um, but as well, we, we want to give them the gospel um, and, and send them back to their schools and their athletes encouraged and um, equip them to share the gospel as well as they go back. And so be in prayer for next Sunday. Um, then as well, a, a, a date that's not in your calendar, um, October 22nd, that Sunday morning, um, we are going to start off worship um, with baptism. And so we have a couple of um, people that have come forward and desiring to be baptized. And so the reason I'm telling you that um, is if that is something you are interested in, and so by interested, I mean, maybe you made a profession of faith when you were younger and you've just never been baptized or you're interested in coming forward for church membership, but maybe haven't been baptized um, or, you, or baptism is just a question you want to talk about. Um, come find me. Let's, let's talk about that. We'd love um, to have you a part of that Sunday morning. And so that's October 22nd. So if you have questions or you're interested in being a part of that day, Come talk to me. Uh, would love to plug you in there as well. And so James chapter 2, as we approach this text, I'll be honest, it's a difficult text. It's a difficult text in really kind of two ways. It's interpretively, it's difficult, um, but also practically it's difficult because just kind of a casual read across the text, it seems like it contradicts everything we just sung about. Because James is talking about works and deeds and all of that stuff. So let's read through it, then we'll comment on a few things. So starting in verse 14, James writes, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also by itself, by, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. 
You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. God, we give you this time. Thank you for the corporate worship we've been able to participate in and engage in. God, we pray now that corporate worship would continue as we break open your word. Would you speak to us today? God, would you, God, illuminate our hearts to what you have for us. And God, will give you all the praise, honor, and glory. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So as I said, just a casual reading over the text makes us kind of scratch our heads. Because we've, we've just sung about we, we come by the way of the cross. Nothing that I have done. And all of a sudden we, we get to James 2 and James is talking about faith and works. And probably our mind is drawn back to what Paul has to say about the concept of faith and in completely different context. They're writing to two different audiences that are dealing with two different issues. It would be, for example, if you were to sit in during a staff meeting and I was talking to Taylor and Clint was talking to Mike, and in my conversation with Taylor, I'm talking about my ADHD. I say, yeah, I, can't, I couldn't watch baseball before. Baseball's boring. It's too slow. But now that they've thrown in the pitch clock, I can watch it a little bit more. It moves a little bit faster. I like that. And then Clint talking to Mike, he's talking about his glory days as a baseball player. He says, I, I'm not a big fan of the pitch clock. I don't know what his actual preference on it is or not. Just making stuff up. ...out of their rhythm and gets them out of their funk, gets them out of their mojo. Parts of those separate conversations and you left there and you went, see, Zach and Clint, they're at odds with one another about the pitch clock. No, that's not the conversation we were having at all. We were dealing with two different issues. We were talking about two different things. And to try to mash those together is to not, understanding, is not, is to not understand the context of both of those conversations. The same way with James and Paul. In Paul's context, he's dealing with the legal forensic aspect of justification. So he's dealing with those who would say, you have to believe Christ and be righteous enough. So you have to hold on to these aspects of the law to attain salvation. That's Paul's context. So he's dealing with the top-down vertical aspect of justification. Well, James, on the other hand, he's not dealing with that context. He's actually dealing with a context that's really the pendulum has swung to the opposite side. Well, I, I, I believe Jesus. There's nothing else that's really required of me. 
I believe that. And so James isn't dealing with the vertical aspect of one's justification before a holy God. He's dealing with the horizontal aspect of how do we know someone is a believer? We don't know their hearts. We don't know what is inside of them. But we can look at fruit in one's life. We can look at the evidence that comes about. We can look at their actions. And so this is the context in which James is writing. It's a vastly different context than Paul is writing. So for the sake of kind of where we're at, it's Paul, James is not using faith and works in the same way that Paul uses them, which is why for clarity, I've, I've adjusted some of the wording and the points to avoid that confusion. And so this morning, there's, a hot, there's not an easy break in the text. So we have six points. So buckle up and let's go. First, we see the question of a faith without action. A faith without action. Going back up to verse 14, James asked the question, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? So James is asking the question, someone says that they have faith, they trust Christ, they believe, and yet there is no action that flows from that. He says, what good is that? What benefit is that? To say that one has professed faith, to say that one believes, to say that one trusts Christ, and yet there's no tangible action that flows from that. He says, what good is that? But then he asks the follow-up question. Can that faith save him? That little description right there gives us the key to understanding what James is talking about. Can that faith save him? Can a faith that may outwardly profess that Jesus is the Son of God, may outwardly profess in kind of theological concepts that may outwardly say these things, but there, there's really no inward heart change, there's really nothing going on, none of my life looks different. Is that a saving faith? That's the question James is wrestling with. Because here's the problem. I believe that the gospel is powerful. I believe that the gospel can take a dead heart and make it alive. Like you do realize this morning that the gospel is not about making bad people good. The gospel is about making dead people alive. The gospel is powerful, and hear me, the gospel is far too powerful for you, to, you and I to say that we acknowledge it, and yet nothing change about our lives. After we have come to know Christ, there should be a tangible difference in our lives. And this is the point that James is making. Can a profession a statement that I trust in Jesus, but no action flow from that. 
Now understand, no action flow from that. So this isn't works pre-Jesus. This is works post-Jesus. Is that a saving faith? So we have this question of a faith without action. But then number two, we have the demonstration of a faith without action. So James gives an example. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So imagine in James' hypothetical scenario here, someone comes in and they're hungry and they have no clothes and you have the means to meet that need. And you say, well, I'm praying for you. Be blessed. Go about your day. All the while, I've, I've got the hot meal in the other room. I've got the spare clothes in the car. Be blessed. I'm going to pray for that need. This is the point that James is making. This is the demonstration that you may outwardly say the right words, but there is no action that flows from that actual profession. This is the example that James gives that how many people come into your life and you have the means to meet that need? Do we actually meet the need or do we offer a blessing? Well, we'll pray for that. We'll lift that up. What well, if someone comes in need, whatever it may be, it may not be someone that's poor and destitute and needs clothes and needs food. But what about just the single mom in your community that may just need somebody to come alongside and help her? Man, I know your kids are crazy. I'm, I'm going to pray for you. Instead of coming alongside to encourage and say, hey, I'm not just going to pray for you. How about, how about you go to dinner and let me watch the kids? What kind of difference would that make? A faith that acts. So we see this demonstration of a faith without action, but then we see the declaration of a faith without action. Verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So faith, just this mere profession, just this mere outward saying these words, but nothing else happening, without action, without works, James describes it as dead. This is harsh, hard language. It's dead. James does not mince words here. He does not sugarcoat this. If you haven't noticed, James is not one to sugarcoat things all throughout his epistle. He doesn't sugarcoat this. He says, I want you to understand why, because this is 
a serious matter. That one who can proclaim to love Jesus, follow Jesus, proclaim faith in the gospel, and yet there be no change, no fruit from that, that's a dangerous position to be in. That's why James describes it as dead. So we see the question of a faith without action, the demonstration of a faith without action, the declaration of a faith without action. But then number four, we see the necessity of a faith that acts. A necessity of a faith that acts. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And so James is trying to, he's, he's presenting this imaginary argument that someone could have, that someone might raise this point that you have faith, I have works, as though the two are polar opposites, as though the two are mutually exclusive. James' point here is that the two aren't mutually exclusive. It's not on the one end you have faith, and on the other end, on the other end you have works or actions. Because what does James say? Show me your faith apart from your works. That what does your works, what does your actions actually demonstrate what you believe? He says, I will show you my faith by my works. When we think about our Christian lives, what do our actions actually demonstrate we believe about the gospel? You see, we've talked about this point over and over and over again throughout the book of James. Because this is his really central idea that the book of James is kind of this practical wisdom for living out the gospel. What does my life demonstrate about my belief in the gospel? What do my actions say about what I believe about the gospel? And he says, you believe that God is one. You do well. He makes the statement of just kind of this monotheistic, God is real, God is out there. He says, you believe that, you say that. He says, you do well. It's as though James is kind of golf clapping. <laughs> you believe that God's one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Like you're, you're just acknowledging things that even demons know to be true. And actually, the demons actually have a, a, a more of a response than you do to that. Like, they actually shudder. You say there's a God out there. You say that there's a creator of the universe. You say that there's one who sovereignly rules all things. And yet, there is nothing different about your life. The demons, they know that, and they actually fear him. 
It's a dangerous place to be in. He says, even the demons believe that, and they shudder. That they actually fear him. They know who he is, but they fear him. You see, what's the danger that James is getting to here? The danger that James is getting to is the risk of having a faith that is less than a demon. That they actually fear God. They know that their end will come. But yet we can know all of this truth and go about living our lives as though it doesn't matter. That's the danger. You see, the Christian life is more than just an intellectual assent to a set of theological facts. It's more than just the tip of the cap to, I believe that God is real. I believe that God is one and he is a trinity. I believe he sent his son and his son was a historical figure who walked across the face of the earth. And I believe that he died. And I may even acknowledge, yeah, there's good historical evidence that he rose from the grave. But that's not actually believing the gospel. It's not about just acknowledging these facts when there's no actual, when there's no recognition. It's not just that God is holy and he is righteous. It's that I'm a sinner and I stand as an enemy against him. And it's not just that Jesus came and he died and he rose from the grave. It's that he did those things because I was an enemy of a holy God so that I could be reconciled against or back to him. And he rose from the grave so that I could spend eternity back with my creator. You see, it's not just Here's some intellectual tidbits of history that I believe to be true. It's understanding the gospel and that based on that, there should be a flow of action that comes out of my life. Like I can't, I can't believe that set of facts and be the same, can I? Like I can't believe that I was unholy and God is holy, that God is righteous, and yet he loved me in spite of me, and he loved me so much that he sent his son to take my place so that I could be reconciled with him. Like, I can't believe that and stay the same. There should be a difference that flows from the gospel. And so we see the necessity of a faith that acts. And then James moves to the examples of a faith that acts. He says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? 
So he gives an example. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So James gives the illustration. He goes, think back to the Old Testament. Think back to Abraham. Then we think back to the story of Abraham, that Abraham was promised that he would be the father of many nations. And yet he was old. His wife was old. And things weren't looking good. Things weren't looking promising for the promise of God. And yet, Abraham has gifted a son, Isaac. And in this joyous moment, they have Isaac, and it's probably a few years after. Isaac's probably a little bit older when they go to the mount. But Abraham is commanded to sacrifice his son. But, but, but God, you promised I would be the father of many nations. And, and currently I, I have, I, not to get into the other stuff, I've got another offspring over here that I shouldn't have had, but I've got this offspring here that was promised to me. And now you are telling me to go sacrifice this offspring that was promised to me. God, I don't understand how I can be the father of many nations if I sacrifice this one child. And yet, Abraham goes. Why? Because he trusted God. You see, his faith in God caused him to act. He could, have, he could have sat there and said, yeah, I believe God could do it. I believe God could make me the father of many nations. I believe he could do it. But I ain't doing that. That's crazy. You see, his faith caused him to act. His faith led into works. His faith led into actions it was not just it was not just abraham sitting in his room by himself saying i believe god can do this and then stayed there his faith his trust in god being god caused him to act so this is the point that this is the illustration that james is making and he says, in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? How did Rahab demonstrate her faith? How was her faith visible? I absolutely love the story of Rahab. If you've got time, go read it. So you see, it's kind of interesting 
because they're about 40 years removed from when they should have went into Jericho. They're about, they're about 40 years removed from that because there was some wandering that had to take place in the wilderness. But sometime in that 40 years, Rahab, when the spies come to her, Rahab makes the statement, we've heard about what your God did crossing the Red Sea. They'd heard the rumors, Mike, of what God had done. And Rahab trusts God simply based on the rumors that she had heard about what God had done coming out of Egypt. Like there's no church in town. There's no synagogue. There's no temple in Jericho. There's no tabernacle. But she had heard about what God had done. And when the messengers come in, when the spies come in, she keeps them safe and leads them out and gives them a sign for when they come back. Solely based on what she had heard God do. And this faith caused her to act. You see, it would have been easy for her to go, listen, I, that was just a rumor. I just heard about that. I mean, like four, that happened like 40 years ago. That was a long time ago. I don't know about that stuff anymore. Uh, I, think, I think your God may be true. I think your God may be real. But listen, that's just, that's just way out there stuff. I would rather not rock the boat and just kind of stay in my house while y'all are running through the city for your life. But no, her faith caused her to act. So you see, this is the point that James is making. Because we go back to verse 24. He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. James is not talking about the same context in which Paul is talking about faith and works. James is talking about how is one's faith demonstrated how can we see one's faith? How, how does one demonstrate that they are in right relationship with God? It's through their action. How can we see that? Through the life that they live. That is how one's faith is demonstrated. So we see and then last we see the life of a faith that acts. Verse 26, he says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So he wants you to think about a dead corpse laying there. There's no life, there's no animation. There's nothing about it that is alive. He says, I want you to understand that this is what faith looks like when it does not act. That this is what faith looks like when there's nothing that's going on. It's just like a dead corpse. So we see that a faith that is alive demonstrates that it is alive. A church that is alive demonstrates that it is alive. 
Why? By saying that we are alive? No. By demonstrating that we are alive. You see, this brings us to our central idea this morning. The gospel produces a faith that brings about action. It's really simple. The entire book of James has been pretty simple points of application and concepts. The gospel produces a faith that brings about action. Because we understand we're, we're not accepted based on those works. It is not those, this is, this is the Paul side of things. We're not accepted based on those works. So God doesn't look at those works and go, okay, now you are forensically justified and made right with me. That's what Paul was dealing with. But as we believe the gospel, there should be a change that flows out of our lives into action. That's demonstrated. Because as I said, I don't know your hearts. You don't know my heart. We can't look inside. But how do we demonstrate our faith? By looking at the fruit that's there in one's life, which flows from understanding and believing the gospel. As the band comes back to the stage, a faith that demonstrates itself to be alive. You see, here is the problem that James was wrestling with. There were people in the church who may have outwardly said they believe these things about Jesus, but there was really no life change. It didn't change their actions. It didn't change how they did things. It didn't change what they said. So James is going, I'm I'm afraid you have been sold a false bill of goods. Why? Because the gospel produces a change in one's life. A change that is demonstrated by how one lives. Does this mean we're going to be perfect? No. Does this mean that there sometimes will be seasons when maybe there's more fruit than other seasons? Yes. But there should be fruit. And I'm afraid just as in James Day, it's easy in the church to think we've We've actually believed the gospel when we just kind of say, I believe these particular facts about Jesus and not actually believed the gospel. So church, here's my question for us today as we prepare to close. Has the gospel produced a faith in your life that brings about action?
Has the gospel produced that? Or are you able to look at the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done, and go, that's true, but I just want to stay right here. It's a dangerous place to be in. Why? Because, as James would say, you don't even have a demonic level of faith. Because they actually believe these things and actually fear God. As I said, this is a hard text. But this is the word of God. And we have to wrestle with that. So my challenge to us today is to examine our own hearts, our own lives. What have we believed about the gospel? And what change has the gospel brought about in our lives? Because again, as I shared before, the gospel is powerful. The gospel is powerful to work in one's life. And when I understand the gospel that, of who I am in the fall, who Christ is and what he accomplished on my behalf, and that he saved me and accepted me and adopted me as a son and has saved and accepted and adopted you as a son or a daughter, is that a place where we can sit there and be indifferent about that? No. That these actions are not so that we would be accepted by God. These actions, these works are not so that we would be adopted by God. These actions aren't so that we would be forgiven and redeemed by God. These actions take place because we have already been all of those things. That's what I mean by it flows from the gospel. So as we close, if you need to come pray, this altar's open. If you need somebody to pray with, I'll be standing over here. Pastor Clint will be standing over there. But what do we believe about the gospel? And does it produce a faith that brings about action? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. God, thank you for the opportunity to break open your word. God, I know it's a hard word today, but God, it's your word. God, would you take your word and pierce it into our hearts and be drawn close to you. We love you. We praise you. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.
before we go, I just want to give you a couple quick announcements. Again, thank you so much for being here today. Um, if you're a first-time visitor with us, we just want to thank you for being here. We'd love to connect with you. There's a visitor card somewhere in the seat back near you. Um, just fill that out. I'll be standing in the foyer. We'd love to give you a gift on your way out. Um, just thank you for t taking time to be here today in worship. Again, as I mentioned, next week, be in prayer for FCA Coaches Day. Um, we're excited to have Coach Gailey with us, and uh, so I went a little long today because I won't be preaching next week, and so I figured I would make up the time kind of half on each end of those Sundays, um, and so be in prayer for next week, and then as well, that at the end of October, we're going to have a fall festival. Um, that's going to be down in the gym. We decided um, to not do the trunk or treat deal, but just go ahead, um, set up kind of stations and booths in the family life. Center, And so just encourage you to be a part of that, to be here, to start inviting some folks for that Sunday night um, as, we, as we serve our community, but also just have a time of fellowship together at that fall festival. And so with all things being said, um, one last thing. So this coming Tuesday, we have our adoption um, party for Sophia. Just as I shared last week, just want to encourage you to come be a part of that um, Tuesday from 3 to 6. And so we will actually go live with the judge at 345. And so just want to encourage you to be a part of that. As I shared last week, thank you so much for encouraging us and supporting us in that journey. Uh, it feels like it is a long time coming, and y'all have been a part of that um, with us. And so we want to just invite you to come be a part of of that day. So that'll be Tuesday from 3 to 6. Amen. All right, Mike, will you close us in prayer?